I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Very excited to be sitting down with Dr. Elena today, uh, Elena Semino. I'll start with this, uh, Dr. Semino. Are you a are you a medical doctor or a smart person doctor? Uh, definitely a smart person doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doctor in linguistics, so that has got to be the smartest. Story. Oh, that's I mean that that's like just below um, a mathematician, I would say. That's right. Uh, p- perhaps exactly. just above, depending on who you talk to. Um, I was going to say above. But... <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that. That's some smartness that I could use a little dose of. Um, uh, Elena, you you do some really interesting work um, when it comes to. Uh, I guess, like linguistics, when it comes to specifically communication surrounding the way we we communicate and talk about health and illness. Um, and something that I've never really thought about, which is interesting because I live with cystic fibrosis, and I've never mm-hmm. thought about the importance of metaphors when it comes to communicating about health. Um, so yeah. can you can you just do us a big favor and take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and give a little bit of a rundown on the work that you are so very deeply interested in. Uh, yes, I'm Elena Stamino, I'm a professor of linguistics at the University of Lancaster in the UK. Um, and my specialization is uh, the use of metaphor as a framing device, as a way of framing topics and experiences and reasoning in um, any area where communication is sensitive and potentially problematic. So I focus on illness because the way in which we talk about illness um, affects not just how sensitively and effectively we communicate with each other, but also potentially how we experience it, Hmm. um, how we feel about it, how we reason about it. Hmm. Um, And the reason why metaphor is important, I'll just start with an example that we may come back to. so the experience of having cancer is sometimes described as a battle. People talk about yeah. uh, battling against cancer, being a fighter, uh, and potentially losing the battle um, against cancer. Um, and people also talk about cancer as a journey mm. uh, and being on a journey with other people, etc. So both of them, uh, both of those are metaphors. Uh, they involve talking about one thing, uh, the experience of having cancer, in terms of another a battle, a journey. Uh, that is different, but we can nonetheless perceive some similarities between the two. So uh, a battle involves, uh, uh, like cancer, something that's potentially dangerous, uh, that can change you forever, uh, something that can be more or less successful. Um, A journey like cancer is a protracted 
experience that might involve uh, periods of intense activity, people mm. periods of uh, less intense activity, and different kinds of destinations, different outcomes. Mm. Um, the, th the reason why metaphors are important is that different metaphors frame the topic in different ways. So in the battle metaphor, the illness is an opponent. And the role of the person is beating the opponent. The warrior, um, yeah, right. Whereas in the journey metaphor, there is no opponent. Usually the cancer is a hard road to travel on. Mm. And there is evidence that the metaphors that we are exposed to affect how we reason and feel about experiences. Huh. So metaphors mm. are not just a, an embellishment, a kind of stylistic device. They're actually connected to how we reason and uh, feel about our experiences that's, and so that is why i studied right. it that's really interesting because like <clears throat> i mean we've been doing the show for six years now and we've talked to uh, in terms of like sp specifically to cancer we've talked to so many different cancer patients and a lot it's been a number of times where we've heard from folks living with cancer where the topic of like the word battle or the word fight, or the word journey. Like those three are like the three big ones that have really stuck out over the last six years where you might find a cancer patient who's like very against the idea of battle or like a fight. Whereas there's other cancer patients that really like, that that mm -hmm. really resonates really deeply. And, and those examples that you gave are the ones that, they're the ones that I feel like most people would think about if you were to ask them, like, what kind of metaphors have you heard when it comes to fighting illness or, or experiencing illness rather? Well, I just literally just like threw the metaphor out there as, <laughs> as I was using that example. But there, uh, you have um, on uh, one of the, there's the cancer metaphor menu that you've, is this, this is a project that you've, that you're at the helm of, correct? Yes, that's right. Yes. So I was looking, I was looking it over and like, I was curious to know what the what other metaphors exist out there outside of battle and and journey. Um, and there's a there's a couple of really interesting ones here, like fairground ride is one. Um, <laughs> stone in your shoe is another one that's really interesting. Uh, Something that's just so annoying it might yeah, kill you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but one that I one that I really one that I'm, I'm hoping maybe you could kind of elaborate on a little bit here is. It specifically, it says not a fight. And so, again, coming back to what I was saying, I've heard so many times people who live with cancer that, that express how they really hate the idea of it being a fight, especially when it comes to like that idea of pot potentially losing a fight. Like there's a loss. There's like you've, you, you weren't good enough or you weren't strong mm -hmm. enough. Um, what, what are some metaphors that fall under the category of not a fight? Yeah. So let me just say something about how we got to the metaphor menu, because that um, mm. uh, is linked with some of the things you said. So we, um, the metaphor menu came out of a very large project where, uh, we were, uh, as part of a team, we looked at the metaphors that people use to talk about cancer. And we looked at people with cancer, uh, family carers and healthcare professionals. Um, and what we did find was that metaphors to do with fighting and metaphors to do with journeys were the most frequent um, for all groups, actually, um, including for people with cancer themselves. And we also found uh, what you just said, which is that um, when you look at how people use them, um, you realize that different metaphors work 
differently for different people. Some people mm. really hate the battle metaphor. They explicitly reject it. And uh, some mm. people use it in such a way that suggests that it is harmful to them. So one person in a data writing on an online forum says, I feel such a failure that I'm not winning this battle. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, why should somebody feel a failure? There are lots of feelings you can feel if your cancer is not going, if you're not going to get better. But failure comes from the idea of losing a battle. You didn't mm. fight, fight hard enough. You weren't strong enough. You weren't determined enough. On the other hand, there were some people who really seemed to find meaning and purpose in the idea of fighting and were proud of being a fighter. Mm -hmm. One person says that explicitly. It says cancer and the fighting of it is something to be proud of. And then with journeys, um, some people hate it because it's a cliche and they say, oh, if somebody else mentions the journey, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but others uh, use the journey in very creative ways. So one person says, um, and it might actually be in the metaphor menu, um, uh, this, my journey may not be smooth, but it makes me look up and take notice of the scenery. Mm. And that relates to quite a lot of people's comment that extreme hardship, such as cancer, but other types of hardship, makes you kind of reevaluate uh, the experiences that you're having and appreciate things, sometimes even the new things that you're experiencing in a different way. The, so, so we found variation. We find, found variation. And then we asked ourselves... Can, can well, I just, but, um, Dr. Yeah. Lennon, can I, can I just interrupt you there for a second? I, it be, I wanted to ask the question in the beginning, like, well, which one's the better metaphor? Like, which one is good and which one is bad? Like, is fighting good or, or is being on a journey better? But what I'm hearing you say in all of that is that it sounds like it's very individual and it can be it, different metaphors can work differently for for different people. Like, is that is that the direction that we're headed here? Yes. So I think it is definitely the case that the battle metaphor can be harmful, like when it leads to you feeling guilty for not getting better, in a way that the journey metaphor cannot be. Mm -hmm. So the 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 fight metaphor, the battle metaphor, needs to come with a lot of warning that it shouldn't be imposed on anyone. Uh, mm -hmm. But if people find that it empowers them, then why shouldn't people use it if right. they're aware of what they're doing? So, so th there is that distinction to be made. But other than that, in a way, you know, we, we we're different in so many respects. Why shouldn't we also be different in how we experience our illness and how we want to talk and think about mm -hmm. it? So we did find that there is variation. Yeah, I, th uh, I think about, sense. I, I think about that because it's you. You said something there too that I think is really important, and and it's not just how we identify as individuals with our illnesses, but how we talk to other people with their illnesses yeah. too. So, like that battle metaphor, if somebody is wholeheartedly embracing it and it gives them the sense of purpose, then that's great. But if you're if you're like, oh, you know, so and so is going to benefit from uh, from looking at this as a battle. And you start to say to them, like, you know, good luck on your battle. Like, I'm here to support you in your fight and start saying things like this. Then automatically you're sort of or you're sort of start of you're, you're starting to project onto them this idea that like oh, they're in a fight. And, and you know what? It's not good. Good enough if you don't succeed. I'm, I'm curious to know. I'm curious to know on that point, Bri, uh, is like his, from a historical context, where where does where do these really common metaphors originate is it and and something that we talk a lot about 
um, in our in our conversations with people who are living with illnesses is is their experience in the in the medical system and the way that they are communicated with by physicians and surgeons and um, and and hospital staff and uh, like I'm wondering like where yeah where do where does the use of metaphor uh, in illness originate and is it something that that once was something that was you know communicated from the physician standpoint as something very sort of like technical um as like you know here's the here's your very specific diagnosis and this is the disease and you're on your way versus versus the framing like who ended up framing illnesses with metaphors mm. yeah so um on the one hand, any subjective experiences, the things we can't see and touch and your own illness and other people's illness is very often something that is intangible and very subjective. All of those very subjective experiences tend to be talked about metaphorically, at least to some extent. It applies to things like time passes. So we talk about time in terms of space. We talk about our emotions in terms of being up or feeling up or down. So there is a general tendency to talk about subjective, invisible um, experiences in terms of other experiences that are more image-rich, such as a battle uh, or a journey for which we have lots of knowledge and lots of uh, visual images. So that is a kind of general tendency for subjective experiences. Then there is an additional tendency to talk about difficulties as opponents. Because if you think about it, the most basic type of difficulty, especially in childhood or in early development, is somebody who's coming to take your stuff or beat you up or try to kill you. So then any problem can become something that we fight for or fight with. Uh, and so, you know, you, there's, there's the, the, the uh, fight against inflation, there's the fight against poverty, um, you know, any fight against drugs, anything that is a problem can be. Uh, metaphorically described as an opponent that you uh, have to beat. Um, so it's, it's not a surprise that illness is one of those things. On top of that, there are then uh, cultural influences. So in the United States, President Nixon uh, called a war against cancer, and that was seen as a turning point. That was a kind of societal war, not the individual one, mm. but it basically became very much part of the discourse, the idea mm. of uh, the war against cancer, and then cancer is an enemy, and so on. And right. in in Western culture, I'm generalizing very broadly, even the idea of the immune system as your defense, you know, as germs mm. and bacteria coming yeah, from right. outside, and you've got these defenses inside, which actually isn't even accurate, but reinforces the idea of the illness as some kind of external attacker. If you go to, uh, and again, I'm generalizing, Eastern cultures where um, illness is imbalanced in the body, for example, you've got a very different metaphorical conceptualization mm. of illness that doesn't involve beating the illness, but reestablishing balance. Mm. Um, so, so, but there are reasons why we are where we are with these metaphors.
Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts we've we've got a lot of uh i mean the, hearing you kind of ex- like describe um you know with nixon just you know declaring the war on cancer and the way that we sort of attribute this battle uh war type metaphor to i mean most things that we do in our in our lives it, is there from your standpoint in linguistics war although still very much present in the world in it, and maybe this is just my a, a, a naive thought from you know somebody who's uh too young to really remember that much war but it seems at least from my perspective that war was much more prevalent the further you go back in history the more prevalent war becomes and it's sort of like dissipating and you know I'm sure you talk to people in different parts of the world they're probably not going to have the same view but that's at least how I see it is there, is there, you know, are there things that are there, are there, are there metaphors that are emerging in language that are, that are, that are going to, that you think might like start to rival this historical battle type metaphor that fits the, the environment in which we live in better or, 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 or more smoothly, I guess. I think war um, and fighting more generally that doesn't have fighting is more general than war is quite um, persistent um, because of this basic idea of of difficulties as opponents that is actually quite entrenched and and even predates war because an opponent can be somebody who's say trying to steal things from you or beat you up not necessarily kind of something involving armies then you've got the fact that war. Uh, even if not experienced directly, um, war is very salient culturally. So we see it in films and read it in books and see it in the news, etc. So we don't need to have experienced something directly to be able to draw from it metaphorically. If you think about tsunami, is also quite a common and relatively more recent metaphor. And uh, COVID has been described as a kind of tsunami on health services. Well, not many of us have experienced tsunami. But Ooh, but right. we all know what it is, and we've seen it. So so, so sometimes culturally mediated experience is just as powerful as not, or almost as powerful as direct experience. So it's unlikely that these things would go away. Having said that, the more awareness there is of the potential problems with some of these metaphors, the more uh, we can find alternatives. And actually, with COVID, when COVID started, the immediate reaction on the part of many political leaders, including the people in charge in the UK and when Trump in the in the US, talked about a war and being a wartime president, etc. And there was a huge backlash actually at the time against that. Hmm. Um, lots and lots of criticism of that uh, particular metaphor, which doesn't mean that it's going to go away. But the more awareness there is of what the potential downsides are of certain metaphors the more people can come up with uh, alternatives i i'm talking about like covid makes me it, it makes me curious to know how how like metaphors and narratives differ between 
between communication surrounding like individual health versus like communal or like global health? Is there is there much difference there in terms of the way that we view metaphors when it comes to someone who's like someone who is battling cancer versus um, versus a country that's battling COVID? Yeah, there is a lot of leakage. So you would think that there is a difference, right? And certainly, for example, in relation to cancer, when war is used, it's usually the societal collective effort. Uh, whereas at the individual level, it's usually fight or battle that are used. And you can see why, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it's very difficult to keep those metaphors separate. And, and actually, um, I've interacted sometimes with cancer charities who were hoping to keep the two levels separate because they they found that if they framed, um, for example, fundraising campaigns in terms of a collective war, they were getting more money. But they also knew that at the individual level, that metaphor could be problematic. And so they were saying, can we keep the two separate? It's very difficult to keep the different levels separate uh, other than at this lexical level, you know, war is usually societal. So it's very hard. And, and if you think about both Trump and, and Johnson, when they both got COVID, different points, there was all this stuff about, oh, but he's very, he's strong. He's going he's gonna to beat it, right? He's a fighter. He's going to beat it. Yeah. So, you know, the same metaphor that was being used at the level of, you know, trying to, be, to, to deal with mm. COVID at the collective level was being then used at the level of the strong individual. Mm. So it is possible sometimes. And there are, so for example, the journey metaphor, tends to apply to individuals. It's not really used at the collective yeah, level. Right. You you mentioned um, the downside of like talking about fighting or battling cancer as as like this idea of like feeling the pressure of not wanting to like fail or or feeling like a failure if you know you lose said battle. Um, what other like sort of negative side effects or aspects of using these metaphors are there for people who are battling ill <laughs> battling Fighting illness. (laughs) (laughs) Fighting, journeying, who are on this journey. That's why I I study them because it's not getting away from them. Um, So, obviously, for some people, just the idea of being at war with themselves is really uncomfortable. So, the people Mm. who um, find these metaphors appropriate. Focus on the idea of determination, not giving up, sort of being a fighter as being somebody who doesn't give up. That tends to be the focus. But the people who dislike them, so there is the big thing about losing. uh, But then there is also the fact that some people are saying the cancer is part of me or any illness is part of me. I don't want to be battling a part of myself. Yeah. And so if people focus on that aspect, instead of seeing the illness as some kind of external opponent, focus on the fact that it's actually part of their own bodies, then they really don't want to see themselves as fighting a part of themselves. Hmm. So that is another uh, aspect that is really quite negative. And then, of course, the idea of, um, you know, violence, association of violence, aggression. Right, right. Um, and then there was there, is, there have been some interesting studies in relation to cancer prevention, where people have been, were uh, given uh, passages to read about what to do to lower your chances to get cancer, and uh, different texts, uh, different versions of the text involve different metaphors. And uh, one particular group had a fight metaphor, and other groups had different metaphors or no metaphor. And with the, then they were all asked the same questions about, okay, have you read this? 
how likely are you, for example, to give up smoking or how likely are you to exercise more? And the people who read uh, the text with the fight metaphor uh, were less likely to commit to oh. self-limiting behaviors, oh, wow. such as giving up smoking, right, than the other groups. And that is consistent with the fact that to win a fight, it's not about refraining from things. It's about activity, mm. right? But that is really crucial for COVID because at the beginning of the pandemic, on the one hand, we were fighting. And on the other hand, we had to, to ha exercise the ultimate self-restraint, mm. which was to stay at home. And so there was actually a conflict between the two things, between mm. the idea of fighting and, mm. and actually the extreme inactivity. Fight COVID, uh, do nothing. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> it, it, really, like, it really is fascinating to hear how... how metaphors really like it's it's more than just the language that we use like there's there's something there's something deeper to the to to just the the communication aspect to it like it in in the sense that it actually can have an effect on the way that you get through that that um that roller coaster ride here's me trying to like find another metaphor to get to um <laughs> that uh, journey. i i i'm very i'm very curious to know um Elena, what, how, how did you find, how did you end up here? Like what, what, why, why did you, why is it that health communication and, and like the way we talk about illness, why is that your, your academic interest? Um, well, there are sort of a range of reasons. I became, so my, my early research was actually on poetry. And so I was studying metaphors <laughs> because of that. And then I came across a theory of metaphor called conceptual metaphor theory that uh, made the point that metaphors are not just uh, a matter of uh, communication, but also a matter of conceptualization, that they mm. uh, reflect and influence how we think about things. And so that led me to uh, think about metaphors in all sorts of areas. I worked on metaphors in politics a little bit. Um, but then I was particularly interested in metaphor. My, my father died of cancer when I was very young. And in those days in Italy, people weren't told that they had cancer. So we had a kind of absence of language uh, that was very difficult at the time, but we, that we couldn't sort of uh, at the time do, do much about. And so then I became interested then in, okay, we need to talk about this thing, but how do we talk about it? Mm. Um, uh, how do we talk about it sensitively? How we, do we talk about it in a way that is appropriate, uh, that takes into account the, the, the different perspectives of the people involved? And that led me to look at uh, metaphors in relation to cancer specifically. Um, and then I've looked at metaphors for pain, um, uh, chronic pain, and, and more recently metaphors for COVID. And, and basically I'm interested in, in sort of framing devices, how we uh, use language and conceptualization to frame our experiences from different perspectives. And metaphor and narrative, which I'm also interested in, but metaphor is a key framing device. Um, and when, they, when metaphors work well, they're brilliant. They help us understand things better, make subjective things intersubjectively accessible, make you understand the pain I feel and vice versa. But when they work badly, then you get people who feel a failure because their cancer treatment didn't work out. Mm. And, you, and so th that's why I'm interested in that. Do, do you have... Um... I know that like recording this podcast, uh, when I talk to people who live with illness in my life, I sort of like bring into these ideas from things that I've learned through the conversations that we've had. It, it sort of like helps me frame the way that I 
talk to people who are sick and sometimes it's consciously and sometimes sometimes it's subconsciously um when you talk to people who are living with illness whether it's cancer or uh something else does do, does your work sort of like change or or impact the way that you speak to them especially when it comes to using metaphors with them like do you ask them questions like hey like <laughs> would you prefer i use the fight metaphor or the roller coaster ride metaphor or <laughs> or uh yeah like how does that work yeah i suppose it affects how i listen um mm. before it affects how i speak and that actually that's what my colleagues and i say to to healthcare professionals when they ask us you know what do we do now that you've told us that there's so much individual variation right right um and the idea is really, if you listen to the person, you can see how they prefer to talk about mm-hmm. their illness. And if the way they talk about it suggests that that's how they're comfortable, then the best way is to respond in the same way, precisely because everybody's different. Um, so I suppose it affects my listening uh, before it affects how I might um, speak mm-hmm. uh, about things. Um but also, there are cases where, and this doesn't apply so much to me, but to healthcare professionals, that some people, for example, in, in our data, but it is not uncommon, uh, with cancer, let's say they're in remission, but they say, I, I, I'm a ticking time bomb because mm-hmm. they are worried about the recurrence. So that is a metaphor that somebody might use, but actually it's very difficult to see how a metaphor like that can be helpful. Uh, to somebody because a, a, a time bomb explodes when it explodes mm. yeah. you can do nothing about the, dis- mm-hmm. the destruction so th- there are some cases where somebody might use a metaphor that a healthcare professional might even want to gently challenge and say look but we're monitoring you so it's not going to be a sudden explosion we'll know well before anything more mm-hmm. serious happens what is going on and whatever happens there's always something we can do so so sometimes it may be that a particular metaphor could be gently challenged. Or if somebody says, I'm a failure because I'm not winning this battle. And, mm. No, you're, you're not mm. a failure. Mm-hmm. Your treatment didn't work. Yeah. So, it's, so it's about listening and then going along with metaphors, but also maybe gently challenging any metaphors that might contribute to the person's distress. Is it, is it frustrating for you when you're doing your work and somebody says, I feel like I'm on a journey because then you're like, fuck, it's not a metaphor. It's a simile now. I've got a solution for that. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say like or as. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphors no, the, and the, similes. <laughs> the, the, there's this sort of general way of using the term metaphor that captures similes as well. And right, then right. when we go to the linguistic, yeah. I don't want to bore you with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. But basically, I don't, I I don't have any problems with stimulants. Uh, every now and again, great. I get I get mansplained every now and again. If I use that on Twitter, and it's a simile, and somebody comes back and says, "That's a simile." Oh my god! <laughs> no, no, I, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing I, that. Uh, I'm, no, I know I, you weren't doing that. In the, in the work that you've done, um, have you? Do you have any, do you have any thought like, you know, so a big part of the podcast um, on our Monday episodes, we, we speak to people living with illness and the whole idea is that, you know, it's about, it's not about the illness and like getting, getting the inside scoop on like, what is this illness and how does it work? But rather the conversation is more so focused on what is the human experience of living with said illness? And on top of that, 
where does the humor exist within that experience? Because personally for myself, humor has, has, has played a massive role in my, my own, you know, self therapy and, and, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, and, and, a separate a separate therapy to 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 what I'm dealing with outside of the medications that I take. Do you do you have any thoughts on like how humor plays a role in the ways that we cope with illness or how we communicate about illness? Yeah, so actually the biggest surprise in our research was how much humor we found in our data. Um <laughs> Because basically we looked at the biggest part of our data was uh, an online forum dedicated to cancer where people just went and shared their experiences of cancer. And we were interested in the metaphors and we had an approach and so on and so on. Um, But then we started coming across humorous uses of metaphor. um, And then just more generally humor, including on this particular forum that we looked at, an enormous thread entirely dedicated to humor. Uh, cancer humor. Now, before I go into what you know the humor was, it's crucial that uh, humor is always a slightly risky communicative strategy. Totally. So only the people on that community who shared the experience of having cancer could joke in the way that they did about their cancer. Somebody without cancer or how the, how uh, uh, some of the people involved in humor talked about it, the normals, um, could not come along and joke in the same way. So humor is about communities, it's about sensitivity, etc. Mm. But we came across enormous amounts of humor. In part, it was how the cancer was referred to. So um, there was okay, Mr. Crab, Mr. C, uh, but then also um, one uh, person. And this is an important, really important function of humor to kind of demystify a really difficult experience. So uh, the, she recalled a conversation where her consultant, her specialist, oncologist had said, that she had a hefty tumor. And so from then on, the, she called her cancer hefty. And so she talked about hefty hiding when they couldn't find any evidence of disease, et cetera, et cetera. So there was humor in how the cancer was referred to. Um, there was a whole line of um, humor that developed into an in-joke in one of these online communities about playing the cancer card. And so people were sort of outdoing each other in how they play the cancer card to get out of <laughs> making coffee, to get oh, out yeah. of doing the dishes, to get more wine than allowed yeah, yeah, from yeah. France to England. I've got a whole deck of CF card. cards behind me here that I, I <laughs> right. dish out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that became such an in-joke because people created acronyms for different types of imaginary cancer cards. <laughs> right, right. That... That then it became really a, a way of bonding because only if you'd been there all along, you knew what these things meant. Mm. And and basically, humor is a coping device that we use generally. And why should people lose that when they're experiencing a, a serious illness? Yeah. So so the the humor was uh, fundamental actually in in those online communities that we studied. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a central part of, it's been a central part of what we, of what we do and like our communication. But, um, I did just want to emphasize what you were saying before Elena about the listening aspect. Um, and because, because from when I, I feel that, that anybody who works in the medical, uh, the medical system, anybody who does 
anything that is repeated over and over again, which is most things that anyone does. If you've got a, if you've got work, you probably have a degree of repetition. And when you have repetition, you, you look for ways to produce more efficiency. And when you produce more efficiency, you, 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 you know, you, you, you dig trenches that you can more easily go down to, to make your work uh, flow better. And so for us, when we're communicating with people, I'm sure we have, as I mean, it's demonstrated when we're talking, it's hard to avoid battle, journey, fight, Ooh. those things when we're talking about illness. And I'm sure when it's, when it, it is, um, when it's a medical professional, they have their preferred pre-dug trenches of how they communicate mm-hmm. to the people that they see. And so I'm just, I'm hearing what you said earlier about listening as sort of like this really key takeaway from this for, for us and what we do and for the medical world um, and like nurses and physicians and surgeons and all that to, to really listen to what people are saying and, and, and allowing the way that they communicate the illness that they are about to diagnose um, or, or communicate about, you know, framing it in the way that makes sense for that person and trying to recognize that, the, 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 you know, the made the most efficient way that you've kind of dug out for yourself because it's, it's the easiest way to mm. do it is not always the best way. And just to be, just to have that mm. like hanging in the back of your mind, you know, maybe that, maybe it is the way that this person needs to be communicated and it's a win-win and you know, you get to follow that it, it, path of least resistance and they get what they need, but just having that in the back of your mind that, you know, they might need something very it, specific. It is interesting yeah. though, because I've heard like, I mean, we talk a lot about, uh, a common theme, I guess, through the last six years is like listening is really important. But I've always thought of listening as like, listen for their feelings, like how they're feeling and their emotions and respond to that. But I've never really thought of listening as listening to the language that they're using, and then sort of matching the language that they're using, the metaphor that they're using to communicate with them. Like, I would have never thought of you probably do it to a certain degree. Subconsciously. subconsciously yeah Ooh. but this is like the first time i've really thought of like oh okay like the way that you frame that experience you know it could could have implications just the way that you're talking to someone like words are really powerful and mm-hmm. like i think some it's easy to to we had a conversation recently with this uh really great guy jesse liskum and um we were talking about um uh language that um, white people are using um, right now and how the implications of that to the uh, communities of people who are uh, black or indigenous people of color, how that affects them. And, and I was like, you know, it's really, it's my intention is this thing. And like, you know, I want you to appreciate that my intention is this thing. And he was like, no, that's not good enough. Like, it's not good enough for your intention to be that because, you know, you need to understand how that affects us the words that you're using. Mm -hmm. And so I think of that as a really powerful lesson, especially when using metaphor, because I never really thought like, I never thought that there's different types of metaphors that would have different impacts on the way that people experience Mm. their lives and the, and the way that they deal with their illness. So there are definitely, so there are probably ways in which, in which we have those dugout trenches that we go to all the time because it's the easiest and most comfortable way for us to do something. And then there are other ways in which, we we adapt on the fly and i think humor is probably a good a good mm-hmm. example of that like there mm-hmm. are you know 
I'm not going to joke with a lot of people the way I joke with you guys. Yeah. And yeah, you know, and I, and I, and, and that's, and that's immediately something that you suss out when you're, when you're, when you're, you can when, feel that line, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it. You can go, Oh, okay. Like this is the kind of humor that I'm going to use when I'm with this person because maybe I don't know them enough. I don't know what their sensitivities are. I don't know what their background is yet. So I like, I don't know what is funny and what's too much and what's, what's, where's the line. And you don't know where that is. So you, you find that over time with people. And I, and, and I think the more that we do that in more areas of communication is, you know, the better mm. because we have, like we have, we definitely have those predetermined pre dugout paths that we want to follow. And, and, and having that, that listening um, aspect to how somebody needs to be communicated with. I mean, I mean, I mean, we did, did we just solve world did we just get world solve world peace? Is that so, world yeah. peace? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're totally right. And actually, we can become desensitized to how we speak, especially people who are in a, in a position of expert. So I had conversations with um, uh, healthcare professionals who would say, oh, no, I'm really careful with battle metaphors. I don't use them. Um, and then I remember once I said, yes, but do you ever describe the cancer or the treatment as aggressive? And, and, and they said, oh, yes, I do. Mm. Um, and, and the thing is, like aggressive cancer or, or even aggressive treatment is almost like a semi-technical term for uh, healthcare professionals. But actually, for if you're at the receiving end of it, especially if you've just received the diagnosis, first of all, we remember everything of those conversations. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they stick in our minds yeah. in a way that they won't with the doctor who's <laughs> delivering it for obvious reasons. But also the, the resonance of something like aggressive for a non-expert whose body it is, is much greater than for a healthcare professional who uses it in a, in a semi-technical way. So, so that is also really, really important. Listen to yourself and don't assume that the words, like you were saying, that the words you use uh, sound the same to you, as, to, to your addressee mm, as yeah, they do to you. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and some people are natural with it. Some people are very... Uh, naturally sensitive to all of that. And and in other cases, it requires a little bit of awareness raising. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Eleanor, I got to say, the work you do is very fascinating. And I am, I'm just so glad that we had an opportunity to sit down and uh, and to hear uh, just a, a sliver of, of what it is you've been, you've been studying over the last uh, number of years. Uh, this has been really fun and we really appreciate you taking time out of your day today to sit thank down you. and chat with us. This, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been really great. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.